You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, animal advocate, writer, and human companion to Max A. Pooch, canine crusader for animals and the environment. Max and I thank you for joining us, and we dedicate this episode as we dedicate every episode to those amazing people who work to save the lives and or improve conditions of companion, domestic, or wild animals. Today's guest, Greg Gordon, is owner of Dog Patch Pet and Feed Pet Store. At one time, Dog Patch Pet and Feed sold puppies. Now, it's a humane pet store. Greg will share with us what that description means, why he made a decision that not only changed his business model, but could have hurt him financially, and more. I want to thank the Puppy Mill Project for putting me in contact with Greg. However, before we meet Greg, we're going to take a break so you can hear from the great sponsors who bring you Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright vacuums for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, and with us today is Greg Gordon, owner of Dog Patch Pet and Feed, located in Naperville, Illinois, a western suburb of Chicago. Hi, Greg. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. Hi, Keith, and thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. You know, I've really been looking forward to this because I was searching for someone with your experience that we could share that experience with our audience. And uh, thanks again to Carrie Myers and the Puppy Mill Project. She recommended you. And, you know, she said your store, Dog Patch, is referred to as a humane pet store. Can you describe what that means? Well, I believe that it could be read several different ways, but, but what I like to think of it is is that we are a store that has given up the idea of selling animals uh, such as puppies and kittens from breeders and has found a way to make it work as a conduit from shelters and rescues. We have a business sense that a lot of shelters and rescues, and I hope they're not offended, don't have, and we've managed to figure out a way to get these animals into homes when other places weren't as successful. We believe it's a commercially a viable business model, and we're here to spread the word that this is something other stores can do. Well, that's great. That's great. Now, I understand that the business has been around for, what, 40 years? Is that true? Yeah, in February, we'll be celebrating our 43rd year. 
That's amazing. And you started, what, working there and then bought the owner out? Is that what happened? Uh, the owner was a friend of mine, and on his 25th anniversary, he asked me to come start working for him. He said he needed a fresh set of eyes, and I was a house husband at the time, so I wasn't working outside of the house, and decided that it sounded like an interesting opportunity, and I fell in love with the business. And since then, I've been here in one capacity or another, uh, managed it for the last 10, 15 years, and... Um, he passed away, sadly, in October three years ago, and I bought the store from his wife. And I understand that it was a store that uh, sold commercially bred puppies, and you continue to sell them. Is that true? It is true, but I think I need to say for me and for uh, the former owner that we were an unusual store in that we did things a little differently than the average pet store. We put hundreds of thousands of miles on the road going to see where our animals were coming from, and that's just something that most stores don't do. We got in the road, we met breeders, we found breeders that we liked, we went and inspected their homes, which is where these animals were being bred, and we put the legwork in that you would do if, if you as a consumer was going to go out and try to find a puppy. And I'm proud of the animals we got and where they came from. However, I will say that it didn't matter what we did. We were, because we were a pet store, we were being lumped in with the bad actors that are out there who literally do just pick up the phone and order one of each breed. I should also say that somewhere in there I got the notion that I was not interested in selling puppies anymore and I needed to find a way to do something else. Well, that's interesting because you're right. I think we have a, a habit as humans of just classifying and lumping. So therefore, a pet store that sells puppies is all bad, a breeder who commercially breeds. And I, I'm sort of curious, what did you look for when you were looking for your pets, your puppies to sell? Well, one of the things that people always think is interesting, and I, I tell this story because it's something we've always done, is we would go into the bathroom of the home. If the bathroom wasn't clean, we read that as a red flag because they're not taking care of their own bathroom. They're probably not taking care of the animals very well. I know of a lot of friends that said the same thing about restaurants. So that was one clue. But mostly we wanted to make sure that this wasn't a bunch of dogs being kept in a situation that we wouldn't be comfortable with. We used to always use this kind of guideline, which was on a cold winter night in Naperville, Illinois, when the wind's howling and the snow's coming down and I'm sitting in my living room and there's a dog next to me and a cat next to him on my couch and we're all warm, are the dogs I'm getting coming from a similar environment? Because that's sort of the thing for me. You know, if an animal's in a run that never sees grass, if it's in a run that, that never sees the outside, if it's just not acceptable and I, and I don't want any part of that. Well, you know, what you're saying is good advice to anybody who does go to a pet store that sells puppies, and they probably should research where those puppies are coming from. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I would definitely agree. And, you know, the state law, which we were, uh, we were actually doing what the state law eventually came out with long before it was a law, is that that information should be displayed next to the cage. And a lot of stores are kind of iffy about it, and the State Department of Ag isn't really enforcing that. But that information should be available without any hesitation and if they're really on their game, you will not get a song and dance. You'll just get the information. It's pretty easy for them to tell you how they're all USDA-inspected breeders, and they'll make it sound like they're kind of descending from heaven on angels' wings. The truth is that it's usually a, a significantly more harsh than that. Yeah, that's what I understand. Now, why did you stop selling puppies you purchased from uh, commercial breeders? 
Well, I was under the misguided notion that I could do both, that I could adopt out animals and sell from some breeders that I had known. And I was down to four breeders that I was comfortable with. Over the years, we had as many as 35 that we could kind of count on once a year, and it dwindled down to four. So availability was one problem. But more than that, I had found a lady who was a customer that was buying three or $400 of dog food at a time, and I knew she only had one dog. It led to a conversation, and she was transporting animals for uh, animal controls in Indiana, and long story short, she agreed to bring some of the dogs that had no other hope to me. It was either the needle or me, and we convinced some people that it would be okay for me to take them. One of those dogs ended up becoming my dog, and a little beagle named Daisy, and Daisy changed my life. So... Daisy opened my eyes to the fact that there's too many animals of that quality and that kindness and that character being put to death every day, and I could not live with that without trying to do something. So Daisy changed your life. She did. She was an, a remarkable dog. She had a severe case of heartworm, and we almost lost her a couple times with the heartworm. And she was she was in heat, and she had tapeworm, and just about everything on the checklist that you wouldn't want to see, she had. Well, you know, it it really is amazing how many guests I've had on that have stories similar to yours where they've come across a dog or another animal that for whatever reason, it's really changed their lives. They've seen something that they didn't see before. It made them realize that maybe they ought to change a little bit. And uh, it sounds like Daisy was that animal to you. Is she still alive? Oh, yeah, she's with me. She's about two and a half, three years old, and I have since adopted another dog named Abner. And uh, as a family, with my wife and four other cats and some rats and some fish, we're living a good life. So I had waited till I was 51 to get a dog, and I could not be happier that I did. That's a great story about Daisy and what happened. Now, you know, I guess you could have... Um just decided uh, maybe to sell supplies and pet food and, and not have livestock anymore. But instead, you took maybe a hard course. Well, I got to tell you, we have a facility that is set up for animals. We have a large outdoor run for dogs to play, and we have cages that are built to house animals well and plenty of space. And um, I have a staff with over, you know, my managers have been here anywhere from about three years to 20 years. And we have over, combined, we have, you know, hundreds of years of animal husbandry experience, and we know how to handle animals, and it seemed a shame just to leave those facilities empty or rip them out. And as long as I was confident that I could find somebody to help me with this in terms of the supply of animals, I just could not let that go. It is challenging. One of the jokes around here is that my accountant was the last one to be on board with this decision, but we did leave a lot of money on the table, but it's the kind of money that I'm okay leaving. May I ask you about how many dogs or cats you sold each year before you switched? Um, before we switched, you know, it's, it, the numbers are funny because before 2008 when the economy kind of tanked, we would average between 40 and 60 pups a month. And we had, as I said, we had about 35 breeders that would keep us supplied. Uh, we were different from other places because you wouldn't walk in and see one golden retriever. We would take the entire litter, which is why we were able to keep the numbers up. So if a breeder we knew had a litter of 15 labs, guess who was picking up 15 labs? And, and that's why we were able to support those numbers. After 2008, when the economy struggled, we saw our numbers dip to about 20 a month. 
cats is a whole other uh, function, but those numbers were sustainable and the, and there was money in it, to be frank, but it was a different animal at that point and it was easier to consider walking away from. And, you know, I would never go back, I can tell you that. Some of the people that I bought dogs from were some of the real salt-of-the-earth people and we all cried when I told them that I wasn't going to buy dogs from them anymore. They really didn't quite grasp it. In fact, the following... <laughs> week they all called and said so when you coming back and I had to explain that I really meant what I had said that I would honor the commitments I had made but I wasn't coming back those moments were tough but I am so thrilled with what's happening here that I would I would never look back in the three years since we made the switch we have adopted out over 600 dogs and cats well that's really great that's a really good story. We need to take a break right now, but and we'll be right back. And Greg is going to share with us his thoughts about how good a model his business is for other pet stores. So just hang on and listen to our sponsors and let them tell you about the great products. And we'll be back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Love My Pets, the new single by Mark Winter, available on iTunes. Hi, everybody. I'm Megan Blake here with my sidekick, Super Smiley. The giant mutt and spokes dogs are throwaways. You're listening to Pet Life Radio, and I'd like to tell you about our brand new show, A Super Smiley Adventure. Our show explores adventures with animals. They can be traveling, out in the world trips, or inner journeys where our animals lead us to inspiration and self-discovery, or just plain fun adventures. Join us here on Pet Life Radio on a super smiley adventure. Good boy. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, and with us is Greg Gordon of Dog Patch Pet and Feed. And we were talking about a good model his business is, or may, could be, for other pet stores. And Greg, would you like to talk about that for a minute or so, and what you think about that? Sure. You know, we've had to kind of reinvent ourselves, and in, in the course of doing that, we've learned a lot along the way. 
We do not make any money on the animals that we adopt out. We do charge a $350 adoption fee, but I will not let an animal leave my store that is not spayed or neutered, microchipped, up-to-date on all its shots, including rabies, and vet checked pretty thoroughly. And so that money covers the, all of that, including food and my staff that takes care of them. We're not a 501c3, so I don't have volunteers. I have paid staff that I have to, to take care of. It has been a very big learning curve, but we are doing pretty well with it. For want of a better term, these animals are like the cable box to us, and we are the programming. And so a successful experience with an adoption means that I have a customer for the life of the animal and hopefully beyond that. And so you cannot be short-sighted like a lot of puppy stores are that just want to get your money and be done with you. I am looking at this as a long-term investment so that I create new customers with loyalty that come back because it's been a good experience. Do you take some of your uh, puppies right from maybe rescues from uh, disreputable puppy mills, or do you get We've them through? We've had puppy mill survivors here. We just sent one home. Um, there's On my uh, Facebook page, there are links to the actual raid that this animal came from. We do get a lot of those animals, and you know, one of the jokes was I spent 40 years trying to avoid a puppy mill dog, and then I'm announcing to the world that I finally got one in the store. So the irony of that is not lost on me. We do work with uh, rescue, one in specific, and we've worked with many over the years. We tried getting animals out of Chicago Animal Control, and we're, we're authorized by the city to pull from there. However, the competition for animals is pretty fierce in Chicago, and uh, the pool of animals to choose from is not particularly diverse. Whereas my rescue partner called A Place to Bark in Portland, Tennessee, uh, Bernie Berlin at A Place to Bark, she has found a remarkable sorts of animals through seven high-kill shelters surrounding her in, in Tennessee and Kentucky. Uh, euthanasia rate down there is 98%, and it does not matter whether it's a 10-week-old puppy or a 10-year-old senior. They are ripe for the picking in terms of euthanasia, and we want to get them out of there and get them into homes. Well, that's great. That's great. So, again, by partnering and, and looking for uh, organizations that are, are rescuing the dogs is a secret to the success. Tell me, though, do you have any problems? Or I mean, when you were selling commercially and, and you said you were, were talking to uh, rescue groups, did you have any problems communicating with them? I mean, Rescue groups have a political agenda in addition to an animal agenda, and we all agreed on the animal part. We could not get past the political part. I was turned down by every imaginable rescue you can think of in terms of working with me place dogs, and I did not understand, and I butted my head up against it very hard, and I'm still sort of surprised at how difficult it was. I had a actually an adversarial relationship with Carrie Meyer at the Puppy Mill Project originally. And then in the course of one phone call, I just basically said, if somebody will help me with this, I would do nothing but adoptions. If somebody would just help me find animals, I was struggling to find any animals I could get out of any rescue to, to find homes for. And 15 minutes later, I got a phone call from a woman named Brandy from Annie's Little Angels. And the rest is history. We started working together. She taught me the ropes of rescue in a very practical way. The first thing she told me was that I would not survive with my adoption fee as low as it was and that I needed to raise it in order to sustain this. As she said, and this is something that a lot of rescuers don't get, is that if I don't keep my doors open, nobody gets rescued. And so we had to find a way to make that work. She taught me an enormous amount, and I'll always be indebted to her. And from there, I managed to meet some other people, especially um, through a couple of different agencies, 
ran into Bernie Berlin at uh, a place to bark, and she's a remarkable woman. She is doing the work of about 100 people by herself and saving between five and 700 animals a year. And she and I have kind of put our heads together and come up with a humane pet store model that we firmly believe in and believe that if we can get shelters and rescues to work with pet stores and pet stores to work with shelters and rescues instead of being hung up on their politics, that we can actually make a real dent in the number of animals that are saved every year. There's a real truth here is that we all get very isolated by our positions. And, you know, financially I have a stake in this and emotionally I have a stake in it. And a lot of times that emotional stake is discounted from me and the rescuers just think I must have been evil to sell puppies. And the reality is I was looking for a way out most of the time I was doing it. So rather than pigeonhole people by their, you know, I don't even know how to say that, but, but rather than just assume you know what people are thinking, opening a dialogue is incredibly valuable. You know, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I've been on the advocacy side of it and uh, see sometimes the blood boil of the uh, owners and maybe they, sh- you know, they should or shouldn't. But I would forget that we're talking about livelihood. These people probably have families and kids and, you know, are trying to run a business. And maybe we all should step back a moment and listen to each other because maybe they're not doing this. Because it would be, say, yes, stop selling the dogs. But on the other hand, there's also staff to worry about, bricks and mortar investment, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars for the store itself and the brand that they developed. And unless you can help somebody to get across that chasm that uh, is separating them, you're just going to not get anywhere. So I really like your story. That's really fantastic. Can you tell me what the most rewarding aspect of switching from selling uh, commercially raised puppies and kittens to offering rescue dogs and cats to your customers is? And what's been the most challenging aspect of the change? Well, I'd like to double back for a second and just tell you that if I had not been ready to make this change, nobody coming in was going to talk me into it. And as a rescue advocate, I think it's really important that people understand that, is that you need to find out if these folks are actually ready. And I would be the first to tell you that I am not proud of, of, of uh, I don't want to say significant, but of a fair number of the people that are in my industry. There are some bad actors, just like there are in any industry. And those people, you know, the breeders I worked with would call on them, the other stores in my area. If we know somebody's up to no good, we call the state and say, hey, you need to go check these people out. So there is an element, and I don't want to be an apologist for my industry by any stretch of the imagination. There's an element of my industry that should be put in check, and I'm right there with you. On the other hand, there are people just trying to support themselves and and do the right thing, and you need to give them space to do it. Uh, In terms of uh, the most rewarding thing in my world, you know, all of the animals I get were going to be put down, and that's just kind of the bottom line here. And so seeing an animal that I knew was about to die and then watching it kind of come out of its shell, watching it get healthy and have its coat look nice, and then watching it get, meet a family and go home with the family and, and live this amazing life. I love looking at my Facebook page because people send me pictures of their animals once they've left my store, and it's the most amazing thing in the world. I, I am not an emotional guy, and I find myself tearing up a lot when I see some of the faces on these animals that are clearly enjoying an, an amazing life when they really had no other options. And um, I don't think you'll ever be able to replace that. And, you know, you can sell widgets and jeans or sweaters or anything else, and you're not going to get that. And so I'm fortunate enough to have found a way to get that feeling on a daily basis. So 
whatever their shortcomings are, and generally they're, they're just trying to understand the business world, they will always be trumped by the notion that I have saved an, an animal's life and improved the life of somebody else. You know, you mentioned the Internet, and, and that's one thing that I think has evolved quite a bit, obviously, since you, you took the business over. And you see a lot of ant dogs uh, for sale on the Internet now. And what's your feeling about that? I mean, either, you know, for, do you think people should even think about buying off the Internet? I would never do it. And I bought animals for years. No, because you don't know anything about these people. They're representing themselves any way they choose. They're representing their situation. If you can't go and see where that animal is being raised, you have no business buying it. I still hear from customers who meet breeders at a rest stop on the highway, and good Lord, you know, you know nothing about them. And if something goes wrong, good luck getting a hold of them again. So I am always startled at what people will settle for when it comes to procuring an animal. If you want to meet a breeder, go meet them. If you want to talk to them about their animals, go see the mom and dad. Take a look. You know, everybody's pleasant and happy when things are going well, but what the first question you should ask is, what if there's a problem? How are you going to handle it? Those questions are hard to get good answers from. You need to see guarantees in writing. There's a whole plethora of things that you're just not going to get over the Internet. Well, that's good advice because uh, I know that, you know, I'll see internet uh, web pages where breeders will claim they're family owned, and but yet they're selling maybe six, seven different breeds of puppies, and they always seem to have an ample supply. So that would indicate to me, at least, that something's wrong there because that's not breeding in your small breeder just doing it because he loves the animals. Um, we call them basement pirates, and if you pick up any major newspaper and look in the classified section, if you do a little bit of digging, you will see generally with the same phone number going to six or seven different breeds listed separately. We used to call those folks basement pirates. Generally, they buy from brokers. They're not generally good brokers. They buy from brokers. They house them in their basement. They sell them like they're breeding each breed. One of the tricks we used to do is call and say, I'd like to talk to you about the puppies without identifying which one, and it would throw them into a tailspin because they didn't know how to answer. So we've done our digging on those folks, and generally you're correct. If there are six different breeds listed under one number, you're dealing with somebody who's not breeding them at home. Well, thanks for setting that straight, because that's one of the things I've wondered about. Greg, I asked my guests this question. How can you justify spending time and money advocating for animals such as rescue dogs when there is so much human misery in this world? Well, I don't ignore the human misery, and occasionally I try to do something to help. But the reality is I've always been an animal guy, and I think people that are like that know that's who they are. I am a firm believer that people have the tools to take care of each other. But we have created these animals' problems, and someone of our, one of us, or all of us who have created these problems, need to get in there and fix this mess because, after all, the animals are just innocent victims in all of this. Well, that's a great answer, and that's an answer that's certainly going to make you one of uh, Max A. Pooch's favorite awesome animal advocates. I have another question for you a little change. When I was doing research, I noticed uh, you have another business called Bounce Treats. We have a treat business. We're kind of a, we call ourselves pet food geeks. We educate ourselves about nutrition and pet food and treats and what you put in your animal and what it does to them if it's good or bad and all of that. So we have a line of, it's a small line of treats right now. There's just a couple of treats. One is just freeze-dried liver. That's all it is, is freeze-dried beef liver cut into cubes. And the other product is called a lammy. It's a piece of, sounds gross, but dogs love them. They are uh, sliced and cooked 
lamb lungs, and it's gentle on their system. It's easy to chew. Senior dogs like it. It is nothing but protein. Both of these treats have nothing added, and that's really important to us. They're USA-made, and dogs seem to love them. And we just felt like we needed to have a little more skin in the game in terms of treats because up until recently, there haven't been a lot of good alternatives. And now the business world is kind of caught up to the fact that nutrition matters, but we still have chicken jerky out there that's killing dogs and some other treats that are being recalled on a regular basis. We wanted to have something that we could count on as a recommendation. Well, that's interesting. Now, where can I go to find out more about Bounce Treats? Well, bouncetreats.com, for one, and you can link to them off of my website, which is dogpatchpets.com, in several local retailers. And I can't explain it, but there is a little niche in parts of Wisconsin and Minnesota that sell them, and a little bit in Indiana. So we're more of a Midwest-centered treat, and the folks that have them love them, and we ship them all over the country as well. Well, that's great. Now, uh, again, what's uh, your store website address? The website is www.dogpatchpets.com. And you're located in Naperville, Illinois. What's your address there? 1108 East Ogden in Naperville, Illinois. The zip is 60563 for those of you punching it into your phone. We're open 8 to 8 during the week, 8 to 6 on Saturday and 10 to 6 on Sunday. We invite people to come in and ask to play with our animals. The socialization means a lot to the animal, and it's good for them as much as it's good for you. We're the only, uh, one of the only stores where if you want to take your kids to see an animal, that you're not going to see a commercially bred animal. So we'd love to have you come in. Well, that's great. And Greg, thank you for sharing with us today about the really challenging business move you made going from selling commercially bred puppies to uh, rescue puppies and dogs and also cats. And I know Max A. Pooch gives you five big tail wagging wolves for what you've done and considers you one of his awesome animal advocates. Well, thank you for having me and I'd be happy to chat anytime. We want to thank you, our listeners, for spending your valuable time with us. You're all fantastic, and we hope you tell your friends about Awesome Animal Advocates. And a special thanks to Mark Winter, co-founder and executive producer of Pet Life Radio, and our sponsors for making this episode of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates possible. I'm Keith Sanderson, host and creator of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates, saying thank you to all those animal advocates who work so hard on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. Max A. Pooch gives them five big tail-wagging woofs. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.